This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. One guest this week, but what a treat. I mean, just an absolute delight to have this guest. Hubie Brown is a Naismith Hall of Famer. He is a longtime broadcaster, now currently working for ESPN, ABC. Since 36th year, I believe, of doing national television, he's been the soundtrack of generation after generation of the NBA. And um, again, just uh, there's so much knowledge within Hubie Brown. It's just every time I catch up with him, it's just fantastic. And we had a great conversation. Won't even preview what we talked about. I think you're just going to you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, seems to be a great time too of the year to have this conversation. Hubie Brown is a very, very wise person, and um, and it was great to catch up with him. So, without uh, any further delay, ESPN, ABC, NBA analyst Hubie Brown. All right, as I said at the top, um, I'm beyond pleased to have this gentleman on the podcast. Um, I've talked to him over the years. It's always been an absolute delight. Uh, to spend some time with him. Hubie Brown does not really need much of an introduction. He's a Naismith Hall of Famer. Um, He has been part of the NBA broadcasting family for generations now. This is his 36th year, I believe, of doing NBA national television. Obviously had a brilliant career as a coach in both the NBA and the ABA. And you still can catch Hubie on ESPN's broadcast. Um, he will have his, you probably listened to this after the fact, but the, he'll, he will have done the Christmas, a Christmas Day broadcast, um, Knicks and Bucks, and then you will see him in 2024. And again, one of the great soundtracks of basketball uh, for all of us. And with that, I am pleased to be joined by Hubie Brown. Hubie, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. It's always a pleasure, Richard. All right, Hubie, I want to start here. Um, you know, we've talked over the years, and and I've talked to people who've worked with you as well, and I've always found this really, really interesting about you in that you have always been someone who's craved feedback. You want directors and producers and your fellow um, broadcasters to offer thoughts on what they thought of the broadcast or what they thought of your performance on the broadcast. So let's start here. Why is feedback so important to you? Well, first of all, I always, since day one, it's a four-man team. Uh, the two guys out in front are the announcer and the analyst. That's easy. Everybody knows who you are. But the telecast is going to be because of the producer and director, whether they get in everything that they have to get in in uh, regards to whatever 
administration wants in the telecast. Now, can they do all of this and then match the pictures with what we are talking about? So to me, any time that you win an award, it's not just because of the announcer and the analyst. It's always because of the production team, the producer and the director who are in harmony with all of the um, guys that are recording all of this in the building. And then it's all coming together and hopefully it's gonna be a successful telecast. Now, when it's over, when it's new and you're driving back to the hotel, you want to always converse with the producer and director because did they get in what they wanted to get in? And then did uh, we, in return, are we happy with, did you overdo this? Did you put in too much and then you went away from what we were doing? And more important, the pictures did not ever coincide with what we were talking about. So to me, that's that's the most important thing of the telecast. Hubie, um, you've always told me when I've spoken to you over the years that one of the keys to being successful in sports broadcasting is to remain current with the game. How do you? How have you tried to maintain being current with the NBA in 2023? Well, because the season is so long, uh, Richard, 82 games. <clears throat> you know, like right now, we're only going up to a third of the season. And people are trying to say, this team's going to be in the final, that team's going to... No, you have no idea because they're like one-third, three sections of the season. So before I do a telecast, I make sure that I had just seen the team, the two teams play their last two games. And the reason for that is, is because I want to be current about A, the injuries, B, the new starting group, and then C, how they are running their substitutions, plus evaluate how they react in the last five minutes of the game about what they're running under pressure, plus the out-of-bounds plays, whether it's from the side or underneath, so that at the end, if we're on national, and we have to realize that we're only not only national, we're on to 215 countries that are watching the game. There's a lot of pressure here now that we are current and can speak positively about what we think can happen, and then when it happens, explain why it happened. And then the guys in the truck have got to be with us and give us the necessary, you know, pictures to back up what we're talking about. And that, to me, is the most important. I never want to go into a telecast and not be prepared about where this team is, where the injuries are, what the problems with it is. And I try to speak to the people in the audience exactly like I'm talking to my assistant coaches and to the players in the huddles when we're talking at a timeout. That, to me, is what we owe you as a fan. We owe you why are things happening, and when the things happen, we want to back it up for you because never once do I ever underestimate the IQ of the audience. You cannot do that, whether you're speaking to corporations, whether you're speaking to your team, 
uh, whether you're speaking to national television, you never want to ever underestimate their IQ. But for the ones that are gravitate, that's why there's a difference between doing ESPN and ABC, because ABC, you're reaching national. Uh, ESPN, we're matching uh, the direct TV. So naturally, we have two different types of audience. The guys that listen to the ESPN Wednesday, Friday games, you know, they're the bennies that want to know exactly what's going on with the league. But when you get that ABC, you're getting the full country uh, and they're not, might not even have seen either of the two teams play and they want to be educated about what's going on. Hubie, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is, and I don't know if you you did this from the beginnings of your broadcasting career, but you, you've always been interested in like the why more than anything else. Why did this happen? Why, why as a viewer did I just see what I saw rather than necessarily give us your opinion about, let's say a player or something. You, you always seem to want to try to answer the why, um, where does that, where does that come from? Did, did you instinctively have that as a broadcaster or were there people in the business who, sort of taught you that that's the most important question question to answer for a viewer? I go back to how we started. I try to speak on the TV exactly like I'm speaking to my coaches sitting next to me that are taking percentages of offensive plays, defensive plays, et cetera, and so forth. And then at the timeouts, when we talk to our team, we talk to them for the reason why things are not happening for us at the defensive end of the floor against a certain type of an offense, why we're doing well in the open floor because of the second chance opportunities, the shot blocking, the forced turnovers and getting out on the break. But then we also want to know why we are scoring or why we are not scoring. Well, the fan from day one, I think has appreciated that because you're just taking it beyond what he is seeing. What he is seeing is something that he might not understand. What, what's his IQ about the game of basketball? Has he ever played it? Or is he just looking here for recreation television? No, we want to take that person into, hey, you just saw it. Now we're going to back it up by replay and show you why it happened and whether it was a defensive function or an offensive creativity. And so now he is getting more engaged. He feels he's being educated. It's just like teaching in a classroom uh, when you're a high school teacher and you're teaching for 55 minutes. The reason why things are on the board or why we're professing a certain fact that that's the key to what's going on here and to your education so that you will never forget it. Hubie, some people as they start to age fall out of love with what they loved for most of their life. Um, that's never been the case with you for basketball nor broadcasting. Um, what, what draws you to doing this still? Why do you, why do you still love this after having done it for so many years? I, I, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, for me, I don't think I'm 90 years old. I never get up in the morning and say, geez, I'm, I'm 90 years old. What am I going to do today? 
I'm 90 years old. I get, I come downstairs and I get my manila pad out and down there on his list and all the things I'm going to do today. Then at night, which games I'm going to watch. And then during the games, I'm going to pick out certain things and I'm going to create all that. So to me, it's uh, the love of the game. It's the game which is taking me from uh, a background of uh, inner city and it has given me a chance to have a great family and then also to the fact that I went from high school coach to assistant college coach to Larry Costello opening up the doors to me. We were players together at Niagara University, but he and I were uh, roommates uh, on the road. And then we were also roommates in baseball because we both played baseball. And uh, so he opened the doors to me and asked me if I'd like to leave Duke and come and be his assistant coach because Tom, uh, his, his assistant, was going to take over the Dallas team in the ABA, who later became, when they went bankrupt, the San Antonio Spurs. That's how the Spurs were created. So uh, I came in with this incredible team that was expected to win 60 games a year because we had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in his third year, and they had just won a championship because they picked up Oscar Robertson, who went from Cincinnati to Milwaukee. And then we had Bobby Danrich and this great young team that they had. Uh, the only old guy on the team was Oscar. And Oscar was at the end of his career because he's going to retire in two years. So uh, I thought I had an education in basketball. Uh, because I played for one of the great high school coaches in the history of this state of New Jersey, who later became a college coach. And he was a ball you man guy that sold that defense in clinics all over the world. Uh, I, I was always involved with guys that could really coach. But when I went to the Milwaukee Bucks, I'm serious about this. I received a master's degree and a doctorate's degree in two years because the practices were so organized because back when Larry Costello graduated from Niagara, he was all American for two years, but he was summa cum laude in pre-med and he won the highest academic honor for the school called the Niagara Medal at graduation. Well, that's how our practices were. Everything was to the second. And you had to see it to believe it. And my first practice of the double sessions, I was amazed at the speed that everything was going. And there was no such thing as called fatigue, uh, that we're not going to work hard today or we're going to take practice off. Uh, you had Kareem. Oscar, Bobby Danridge, three Hall of Fame guys, uh, working like they were just kids learning the game. And everything was in our playbooks. I still have the playbooks from the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, it's, uh, it was such an education. And then 
we were always creating new sets for Kareem so that you can get, couldn't get accustomed. We had nine different sets for Kareem that, that we could call, and they all had different options. And th this, to me, just proved that when you have the superstar, the super, super, that has to give it to you in the last five minutes and especially in the last 10 seconds, you have to create for him a high percentage shot in his best area. Not a shot, but a high percentage shot in his best shooting areas. So that, that's where the development came because we would be constantly changing our, our offensive sets for Kareem and for the rest of the guys. Um, but the key being, are people uh, defending us differently now? Do people feel comfortable in defending us a different way? Well, then we're going to change because the next time we see you, we're going to be running that option in a di different direction or from a different side of the floor. So it, it, it never, every single day was basketball. We would, we would practice in the morning for two hours. And then we would be in the office for the afternoon. And then he would call me at nighttime after dinner and say, how about stopping by so we can create a couple of things for blankety blank. So help me God. We both had, and we both had four little kids in grammar school at that time. <laughs> okay. But you talk about an app, uh, an added, uh, an appetite for the profession. I was fortunate to be with a team that answered the accountability of the coaching staff on a regular day. Uh, believe that's me. It was great. That's amazing. Thank you for that. I have, uh, uh, I have a couple things for you, more for you, but I want to ask you just one question just about that era. Um, I'm so fascinated by Will Chamberlain. I, I never saw him play live. Obviously, I've seen tape. And the one thing that, at least from my layperson's eye, is he's so much, he's just such a different athlete compared to everybody else who he played with in that era. And I'm wondering just from your perspective, since um, since you were there, um can you just give a sense for my listeners of like of what Will Chamberlain was um, on the court and, and and I'll give I'll give you a couple of things here. First of all, as a high school kid, he ran in the Penn relays, which were the biggest high school relays in America, uh, in Pennsylvania, out of Philadelphia. When he uh, attended college, he attended at Kansas, and he did the shot put the discus and the javelin, okay? When he left there at the end of three years, uh, they lost the finals to uh, North Carolina, uh, coached by Frank McGuire. Well, why did he leave? Because the Globe Charters were the number one traveling team in the world. People forget this. There was an East Coast uh, a Globe Charter, a West Coast Globe Charter, and then the number one team. That was with Goose Tatum and Marcus Haynes and that group. Well, they paid Will $100,000. Just think of what that would be today. To give up and then travel with them for a year. Because the rule was 
you could not enter the NBA. When you graduated from high school, you had to go to college four years before you can come in. Now, when they had the fixes and a lot of guys dropped out of college, all right, and so forth and that, they played in the Eastern League in, in Pennsylvania. They were eight teams, and they were all playing on those teams, and they played Saturday night and Sunday, and you got paid in cash. Now, why am I going to that? Because Will couldn't leave at three years and come into the NBA. So he had to, at that time, uh, either drop out for a year and wait for the draft or go with the Trotters. So he went with the Trotters. Because you have to remember back at that time, there were only nine teams in the league, nine or ten teams at that time. And there were only ten guys on a team. And then it finally went to 12 in the 60s. Now, Will Chamberlain changed the lane from six feet to 12 feet. Then they eventually changed it to 16 feet. And Wilt Chamberlain was un unguardable, okay? And I've got to give you a, a quick quick story. Uh, two, two years ago, the Knicks are playing, and, and uh, Walt Frazier, one of the truly greatest guards of all time, because he was first... He was all NBA offense and defense, was doing the game with Mike Breen. And there is a disturbance on the opposite side of the court. I'm watching the game from my house. And there's this rumpus and the referees are trying to. So there's a dead time. So Breen says to uh, Walt Frazier, what do you think of today about the fact that Player X said that they should change the NBA logo, meaning Jerry West, who is the logo. And Walt Frazier shocks me. He says, well, what about George Mikan? George Mikan? What about Bob Cousy? Because anybody that knew when the NBA came together in the 40s, the late 40s. These two guys carried the league so that it wouldn't go bankrupt. Now, for Walt Frazier to say, well, what about George Mike? And I, I couldn't believe he said that. And then he said, what about Bill Russell? Uh, what, what about, you know, Michael Jordan? What about Wilt? You know, and he goes through, what about uh, um, Larry Bird? And so he's just rattling off guys that are all incredible. Magic Johnson, you know. So then there's a pause because Mike doesn't answer him. All of a sudden, this fantastic player who had a play against Wilt said, Mike, if Wilt Chamberlain played today, he would average 70 points a game. <laughs> Think about that. Let's think about that. Uh, he's, See, that's respect. Yeah, he's that's respect. Yes, especially from Clyde for a guy that had a play against. Him, yep. Okay, yeah. No, that that's 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 phenomenal. Um, Wilt's amazing. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love. 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're, uh, in reading up a little bit about you prior to coming on, I know how much your father was a major influence on you. And you, you've said in interviews that um, if you had a life motto, it came from him. And that motto is you're always a half step from the street. Do you still think about that even today, even after all your successes? Does that still drive you? Well, see, uh, I always say that it's imprinted, imprinted on my brain because, see, at that time, uh, my father was working in the Carney shipyards. And uh, the Carney shipyards, you know, the, the, some of the, the, those uh, big cranes and that are still there when you go up the Jersey Turnpike when you pass Carney, New Jersey. And his, his uh, Carney shipyards, they, they made the uh, destroyers and battleships that went over. Uh, my dad was a foreman and his crew would take those ships and they would drop them off on the different uh, uh, bases up and down the eastern seaboard because those ships were going over to Europe, okay, during the Second World War. Well, what happened was, is that uh, after the war ended, after about two years, they closed the Carney shipyards. So my dad was unemployed. And he went to work for uh, uh, my mom's sister's husband at Singer Sewing Machine in Elizabeth. And he was a machinist. He could, he could fix anything. And uh, well, I'll be darned. The Carney Shipyards reopened. And he had 19 years in already. So he goes back and I don't know, five or six months later, they closed the shipyards. Now you have to remember all of the soldiers now whether they were in Europe or whether they were in the Far East, they're all back now. So jobs were tough. And this man with incredible pride walked the streets for eight months and couldn't find a job. And he became the janitor of my high school, St. Mary's High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And um, that's when I was in the seventh grade and he took me one day, we had a little apartment up against the railroad tracks, and he said, uh, Chief, I want you to remember this the rest of your life. No matter how good life is going for you, just remember that you're a half a step from the street. Now, when I do coaches' clinics, you know, around the, 
naturally around the United States, but I've been fortunate to do them around the world. Uh, when I do the one, I, I, I did one two-hour thing on your half a step on the street. And I started with the guys that challenged the principal because they were having so much success over something. And they challenged an athletic director. And the next thing they knew, they were uh, let go. And also, guys that became heavily into drugs or into alcohol, how many of them lost their jobs? And I had them raise their hands. First time I did it, there were 950 coaches in uh, Minneapolis. And I was stunned, stunned when I asked them for each of the different things of how many of them lost their jobs because they challenged. And that's what I, that's a new way of getting a half a step in the street to be in the street because you are overly confident or you do not take care of yourself from a physical standpoint. And if you do not prepare like you usually prepare, you're easily replaced, especially today. And uh, I honestly feel that when you speak, you, you never want to shortchange your audience. You never want to shortchange the people that have had you employed. And then you never want to let down your producer, your director, and then naturally your uh, uh, you're the analyst, but the other guy, he's, he's the main guy and he's got to keep it together, but you never want to let down. It's a four man team. I know I'm, 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 I'm uh, talking too long here, but um, that was the basis of, see, I, that was the basis of what he was telling me. And that's how he, he, he's the greatest man I've ever met in my life. I can't talk, I can't talk to him without getting upset. And he went to the sixth grade. Got it? Yeah. I, uh, that was his education. I appreciate you sharing that with me. A couple more here. Um, you, um, you're going to, I'm not sure if you, you, you probably don't know your whole schedule for 2024, but do you, how far in advance will ESPN let you know, like what games you'll be doing? No, only into January. That's as far as we go. Okay. So you, and, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it, it depends upon the company that you're working for. Uh, when I, when I worked for Turner, you got your whole schedule in September for the entire year. But then again, they didn't have, four stations and, <laughs> that's right you know so and we're doing that many games you know right. kind of <laughs> so you're uh roughly you think like for like this season you'll end up doing what you think 15 games something to that effect 10 to 15 20 oh yeah no that yeah that's all i'm co- contracted for. okay yeah for the last three to four years and it's been perfect for for me uh and i saw so i basically do like two games a month and it works out great keeps me, you know, alive, vital and being in the business and I'm, and on top of what's going on and be current. So to me, this, the schedule is perfect. And I can't thank the people at ABC and ESPN for the fact that they continue to 
extend this another year, another year, another year without my agent, Sandy Montag, uh, pestering them for an extension. <laughs> it's good. I like, uh, yeah. You, you know what I mean, Richard. Of course. You know what I mean? It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, that is nice. Uh, and I, I appreciate that from ESPN, too. Um, one of the things... Um, one of the things you be, I feel like you're, you you you'd be a massive expert on is just sort of taking care of your body. Um, you know, you're 90 years old, you're vibrant, you're still working. What have you learned about sort of taking care of your body for the long haul? Well, as far as this television stuff goes, I um, I stopped watching the West Coast games because they end at one o'clock in the morning. And uh, as I got older. Um, I, I was cheating myself on my sleep. And because the next morning, I want, still want to get up at 7 or 8 o'clock, or 7 o'clock and get going and doing what I wanted to do. So I was cheating my body. And then as you get older, you get into your 70s and stuff like that. You, Well, I'm sorry, in the 50s, I, I never was a tennis player. If you play tennis around, and uh, where we were growing up and hanging out on the corners, we, we, you know, we would be questioning you at because tennis wasn't a big thing back in the day, you know, in the forties. So I, I took up tennis. I, uh, learned how to play, uh, here in Atlanta, believe it or not. Uh, and then I, uh, I, I would do that. And then swimming was the next best thing because when you swim, and you say to yourself, I'm going to do eight laps right now. Well, I would then think of a topic, whether it was uh, the clinic business or whether it was uh, uh, speaking to corporations or whether it was television or what. And I would do eight laps. And then I would think about one topic during that period of time of, what phone calls have to be made, so forth and so on. What do I have to do? And then when I would get out of the pool, I have an manila pad there, I would write down all the things that I thought of. So I thought that not only was swimming, uh, you know, you build up eight, eight laps and then it's 12 laps and then you get up in the 30s. And so we have a pool here now. Uh, over the last 30 years, we have our own pool. So... Uh, that helps, even though the pool is smaller. Uh, so you, you do X amount of laps, and it gives you a time to concentrate on whatever field, but do more fields than one. And then also the contacts, and then also uh, different things that have to be done in arrangements of travel, et cetera, and so forth. So to me, that has been good. Uh, those, those, those things. The tennis was good, but now that I have a lower back problem uh, between my uh, third and fourth uh, vertebrae that they can't heal right now. So, um, yeah, I, I can't play tennis anymore. But that—that's a good question. And and guys do it differently. You know, other guys run. You know, I was never a big runner. Uh, uh, I was always in shape, but uh, to me. Uh, the tennis was great because of the competition and then learning how to play with people that are much better than you. But then the swimming is good for you for the stamina and everything else, as well as 
you know, making sure you don't cheat on the doctor. Did you, yeah. did you, uh, when you, I mean, you coached in New York, obviously, but you ever get a chance to go to the U S open being such a big tennis fan? Oh, look, I've, I've been to the open many, many times. And then I was, uh, because I used to speak for American express and, uh, uh, I, I've been, you know, to, uh, the uh, U.S. Open, I've been to the French Open, and I've been to the Australian Open, right? and and um, it's all because of speaking, you know, and um, for this company, and it, it was great because my wife loves tennis, I love tennis, and so we were doing that for years. We would do that, and. Uh, uh, it's a great sport, as you know. It is phenomenal. Yeah, it's interesting. You made the hard one, the Australian Open. Uh, usually, most people are like they they hadn't got to Wimbledon. Um, so that's uh, that's the only Grand Slam missing on your uh, on your resume there. Well, uh, Wimbledon, I've I've I I've been to Wimbledon twice, and because of this company. Oh, okay. And, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, you see, and. It's all about American Express guys that they would bring uh, during the three weeks. They would bring in 30 uh, chairmen of the boards from different sections of the country and world. And then I would speak and take them to the basketball. And then there were track guys that would take them to the track and, and so forth through all of the different events. So I did that with this company for years, and uh, uh, I was fortunate to go to all of these places. So, oh yeah, it's uh, I'm very lucky. Right? Yes, you've you've had you've uh, you've you've luck is the residue of design, though, in some ways, as Branch Ricky said. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Last one for me. One of the things that I, I will always remember um, when I saw you the last time in Toronto, this was a couple of years ago, is you, you take very intricate notes. You're, you're, whenever you write stuff down, whether it's your sort of uh, your boards or your sheets for games, um, I, I really remember this. Very intricate and very small notes that it seems like only you can um, only you can read. Um my sense is you probably still do that, right? You you always struck me as like an inveterate note taker, someone who would take notes on anything. Is that is that accurate? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because when you go to the game, you have to have a game plan, and uh, just like in coaching, and you have different assistant coaches taking care of different sections of the game. Like we had one guy who just charted every offensive set and that we ran and then another guy doing all defenses against their sets and then uh we would have another guy that would be charting every single foul 
on a guy, and then how many shots each of our top three shooters had per quarter. Don't ever forget that when you're talking NBA. Because if one of your top three guys is not getting his shots, he is not very happy. (laughs) I don't care if you're winning by 15 to 20. He's not happy, okay? And there is one of the toughest things in pro, pro basketball is that when you get three great scores or a fourth score, now there's not enough balls for four guys to be on the floor at the same time. So the one guy is probably playing with a second unit. Now, are you going to rotate seven guys? Are you going to rotate eight guys? Are you going to rotate nine guys? Are you going to rotate 10 guys? And what I do, do we have time to tell you a thing? Of that course. Yeah. All the time in the world here. Okay. okay. We go to our first practice and it's that little John Carl Carroll college there in Milwaukee. The only people in the building are the free agents and the Bucks team. And then, uh, Wayne Embry, the general manager, and he's sitting uh, by, um, so, Larry says to me, uh, he's looking at the clock on the on the wall, and as soon as it hits 10 o'clock, they're going. They're going to start. Everything's going. So right away, everybody's shooting around. So he goes, listen, you're in charge of players 9, 10, 11, and 12. So I look at him. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, these four guys are all great players, and uh, they wouldn't be here if they weren't great college players. They're not going to play because we're only going to rotate eight guys. I said, well, well, what are you worrying about? He said, because they're going to be pissed off every day at me. So he said, you're going to keep them happy in some way, form. So that's your job. And he was right. And after two years of that, I got my job with uh, the Kentucky Colonels. We had five new players, Stan Allback and I were new new, uh, coaches. And they'd been in the finals the last two years, but never won. So I rotated 10 players. We had 10 guys on the team then in the ABA. And people always say to me, why, why do you always rotate 10 players? I said, because we're developing players that wouldn't play. I said, because if you have a seven-man rotation, eight-man rotation, and you get a major injury during the year, things are out of whack because now the guys move up and the guy that's moving up into that seven-man rotation, he's not accustomed to getting playing time. I said, so uh, we're going to rotate 10 guys because we're going to have 10 guys playing. So he said, well, what other, well, what other reason? I said, because 10 guys are going to go happy tonight when the game ends because all of them play. And they get the message. I didn't like it when four guys didn't like the head coach in Milwaukee, okay? Because they never got in. 
unless there was garbage time or garbage time or there was an injury and you would move up. So I always played 10 guys. And you, so I would change that in thinking as we moved into the NBA. Because at Atlanta, we had the youngest team in the league. What we were do- doing there is we were trying to develop talent of players nine and 10. And then when we would have an injury in it, we'd move, keep moving guys in because we were carrying, carrying in 12 players at that time. So for us, 10 guys played. I want 10 guys happy. And <clears throat> don't lose the fact that when they come to the NBA, they've never sat on the bench. They were stars in grammar school, junior high school, high school, college, and everybody has kissed their feet for all these times. Now you bring them to an NBA team. I don't care what what team it is. And the guy's not getting time. He is unhappy because it's the first time in his life that he's not getting minutes. Hubie, I can't thank you enough for giving me such extended time. Hubie Brown, obviously, Naismith Hall of Famer. You can catch him doing games on ESPN slash ABC as we head towards 2024. Um, And it's just always an absolute treat for me to catch up with him. Hubie, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Always a pleasure, Richard. Anytime. All right, back in studio. My thanks to Hubie Brown. That was great. Uh, Just fantastic. Uh, Last couple podcasts, we had Richie Zients and Rich Russo. They are the uh, producer and director of Fox's top NFL broadcast. Good feedback on that. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, Boston Globe's Chad Finn came on not too long ago for a roundtable discussion on media stuff. Uh, Laura Rutledge, Ernie Johnson were recent guests on this podcast. Jason Benetti, uh, Ted Robinson, Joe Buck. Again, hopefully... uh, there are things in the archives that you like. If you like the podcast, leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That's how the podcast continues. Want to uh, thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Want to wish everybody a, a great holiday and safe holiday season uh, wherever you are. I hope you're enjoying it with friends and family. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast in 2023, including my Sports Illustrated days. I've been doing this for a long time now. Um, it's great to talk to the people I get to talk to, and, um, and it's just a great creative enterprise for me. So I really appreciate people listening. I never take that for granted, and thank you. Uh, for Patrick, uh, for myself, we will see you in 2024. Thanks for listening to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.